This is a real personal podcast, but I'm sure quite a lot of people can relate to this topic. It's a topic about being homeless and especially being homeless in 2020. Now, I'm going to give you a brief, and I mean brief, uh, personal story about this because at the age of 21, just before I turned 22, I actually was homeless myself. Now, I'm 42 years old right now, but I've never, ever forgotten that particular event in my life and in my personal history. And also, it made me look at things very, very differently. At the time, there was quite a lot of friction. There was quite a lot of tension. There was quite a lot of problems with myself and my father. And I'm not going to go too much into the ifs and whys and buts, but let's just say things got to a very, very difficult situation. And I had tolerated quite a lot with my father and vice versa, you know, understandably. But the final result, the final um, situation I found myself in was living rough and living on the streets and being homeless. People presumed in that community various other things, which were not true. The actual situation was I had nowhere to go. I had nowhere to sleep. I had nowhere to live. And I was homeless. And... I've never forgotten that particular part in my life. In fact, if anything, it's made me strive to help others that find themselves in that particular predicament. I was quite fortunate in many ways that I was in employment, okay? Even though I was at a young age, I had been working since I was 18 years old for a bank whilst I was a student, whilst I was putting myself through university for the first time. And that's when this happened. I had actually been... Uh, due to start my dissertation, I was due to uh, hand my dissertation in, um, obviously for submission in June, July of that particular year. And when this particular situation occurred, understandably, as you can imagine, it was not something I expected. And I think it was something obviously my family didn't expect either, but push came to shove. And this was the result. When I left home, I also was fortunate enough to have my own car that was registered in my name, a car that I had worked for and paid for. So luckily I had some form of shelter. And I remember at that time that people that were claiming to be my friends, and I found out afterwards really, they're not really friends, they're acquaintances, but it's a lesson you have to learn. It's a lesson you have to learn quite young, is that people were fully aware of the the problems I was having in my family house and they were clearly evident of that because they witnessed several incidents themselves whilst I was at work and people repeatedly would say to me if ever you have any problems if ever you're gonna have a situation we know you're struggling um, there's always room for you at my house well this was in the stage of when mobile phones had just started to come out in England and I'm sure across the world And we didn't have such things like Viber or WhatsApp or TikTok or Snapchat or Instagram or Facebook. This is well before that time when mobile phones were used purely to make a phone call and people only just recently started to learn how to text. And those text messages would cost money. Again, you know, obviously you're now in a very, very completely different situation and you have to sort of think about where you're going to go and what you're going to do and how how you're going to do that. And for a long while, I had been thinking 
about obviously if worst case scenario occurred with my father and I, what was I going to do? Where was I going to house myself? Where was I going to put myself, you know, as in a house? Financially, as I said, luckily, luckily for me, I was in work and I was able to, uh, you know, I'd put savings aside, I'd put money aside. And luckily for me, I had that to bounce back on. But there are a lot of people that are not in that particular predicament. And obviously, each person's situation is going to be very different to mine and my particular predicament. For me personally, um, having that finance at the side of me to support me and cushion me really helped me through some very, very difficult times, extremely difficult times. And it also made me realise how naive I was and how sheltered I had been about the outside world. I hadn't realised, you know, how many complicated things you needed to in order to get yourself a property, for example, having a reference, having a guarantor, providing financial statements and so on and so on. And at the age of, you know, 21, 22, you don't really have that inkling of that because your family is, you know, helped you, even though you're paying rent or paying your way, you don't really realize how sheltered you are. Going back to my particular predicament, I recall, you know, um, driving away from my parents' house, obviously, in absolute floods of tears and tears and tears and just basically not knowing where I was going to go and what I was going to do. And the only thing, the only security, the only place I did know was my place of work. And I ended up driving there because I didn't know where else to go. I had friends, don't get me wrong, I had close friends. I'd lost contact with those close friends. But also part of me didn't really want to have to burden them with all my, you know, domestic issues, I guess, if you want to call it that. And I remember being sat in the car park of my work and calling upon these friends that had said to me, oh, yeah, you know, we've got a place for you. Come and stay with us and do this and do that. One particular girl that I rang that I was very close friends with, we were practically like best friends from work, um, she was off out to a nightclub. And she was like, sorry, call me tomorrow. Maybe I'll have a space for you. And it was that point when I realised, don't rely on anybody. Don't rely on anybody but yourself. Um, one thing she did suggest to me was to go and stay in a hotel. I mean, I had never, ever even stayed in a bread and breakfast uh, on my own, a hotel. The only hotels I'd ever experienced were when I travelled abroad with my father to Egypt and to Germany and then on going on to Pakistan and visiting family members over there in the, in the northern part of um, Pakistan. And obviously, you don't know at that point how to book a hotel. There was no such thing as booking.com. There was no internet sites. As I'm saying, this is going back old school where you, where you physically would ring and book, you know. So things were different back then. But I recall being sat in that car thinking, what on earth am I going to do? What on earth am I going to do? Where am I going to go? I didn't even know where the hotels were. And this is a city that I grew up in, but obviously I was extremely sheltered, like I said, and isolated, I didn't really have this knowledge of um, these particular scenarios that I found myself in. And it got to a point where, you know, um, I'm thinking, what am I gonna do? How am I gonna get out of this situation? And what I did do, I, I traveled down in my car, luckily, to the city center and found myself the some of the areas where I spotted one hotel. Now I'm from the set, city of Sheffield, and Sheffield in the United Kingdom back then, and even now, it was a very, very popular city. 
you know, it has lots of events on. And at that particular time, unbeknownst to me, there was the Crucible uh, Championships, which is snooker and pool. There were some other events on, I think, at one of the stadiums that had recently been built. So there was concerts going on. And practically every hotel was basically booked out, booked out, booked out. When I did eventually go to one particular hotel, um, it was extremely swanky. And I had previously withdrawn £300 from my bank account, which is a lot of money, actually, back then. A lot of money. It's still a lot of money now. And I thought to myself, naively, that's going to pay maybe for like a week's lodgings. Like I said, I didn't have an idea about hostels or um, bed and breakfast. So I just didn't know. I just needed to find somewhere to sort of sleep. And I, I came to this hotel, found it, and just to stay for two nights was £300, which, you know, my jaw dropped to the floor when reality hit me with a bang about how expensive this was going to be. And obviously, you can't maintain that type of cost because your money's going to go very, very quickly. And, you know, this particular individual was looking at me very strangely because obviously... I was dressed in a particular attire, and I probably didn't look like their normal clientele. And she was thinking, what is a woman doing here? You know, a young female doing here at this particular time of night. Um, you know, it's difficult, isn't it, to be in that particular predicament? The next day, I had um, tried to get in touch with some other friends to try and help me find some accommodation. It wasn't going how I wanted it to be. And, you know, some of the time I slept, uh, you know, obviously I couldn't stay in the hotel. I slept in the car um, where I could, where parking was not an issue, um, overnight parking fees, so on. And what I used to do is I used to go into the halls of residence where my accommodation, where, where my um, university building was. And downstairs there was bathrooms that I'd always used anyway and public um, chairs and I used to sneak in when the security guards weren't about. I used to hide myself in the toilets. And you have to do what you have to do. That was where I got washed. That's where I got cleaned. I couldn't have a shower, obviously. But I did what I needed to do and um, make myself look like nothing was wrong. I didn't even have really a change of clothes. Um, I did take my work uniform with me because obviously legally I had to because you got charged for that if you didn't um, bring that back. So there were ramifications and there were complications to this particular scenario. And, you know, I hadn't really thought it through. I hadn't really planned it because it was something that just happened without me realising it was going to happen, that I was going to be homeless and without my family. And I recall sneaking in and out of those halls of, you know, halls of residence, as I said, where downstairs... It was like the study lounge, the study area where most of the students went and we did our essays and we did our work. It was like a communal area where you had some like sofas at the back and luckily there were some blinds. So on a couple of nights, I was able to sneak into those particular areas. And luckily back then there was no like alarm system as such or cameras in place as such where you could be spotted. And I would, you know, if I heard security going round, I would try and hide myself under some of the furniture at the side. But I just needed somewhere that felt like a proper sleep. You couldn't really sleep in your car. I didn't want to sleep outside on the streets as such. I tried not to on some occasions where this happens to people. You know, it does. It does happen. But I was stuck. 
And like I said to you, naively, I thought that I could just quickly get a, a somewhere to stay. And it quickly dawned on me that most places when you are looking for somewhere to stay, they want a guarantor. They want the rent up front. They want someone to sign and stamp and approve to say that, yes, um, this is the person that if they can't cover the rent, I'll cover it for, for them. Majority of the time, it is the parent that does that or the guardian that does that. And I'm in a predicament where I haven't got any of those things anymore, which is, you know, I'm sure many people can relate. And I then went to the student's um, accommodation centre uh, because it was getting to the point where I just couldn't cope anymore. Obviously, I was I was in trauma, I guess. I was bereaved. I was emotionally unstable. Um, and despite this, my employers wanted me to go back to work, which was in another, which was in Sheffield at the time. I was in Huddersfield, which is another city. And luckily for me, I persuaded my employers to just basically take my holidays from me, and. You know, it was what it was. There was nothing I could do until I got myself somewhere to, to be. Um, that's the other thing people don't really consider. And luckily, I was able to get some sort of compassionate situation on this. Um, but it was not easy. And, you know, I I ended up, I think, on that second night when this had happened, I did go back to work to give them the safe keys because I had the safe keys for work and they wouldn't be able to open the bank without them. So, you know, I was responsible to a certain degree where I needed to be because uh, I didn't see this predicament coming. I didn't see it happening, you know, and none of us do, I guess. None of us see these things happening. When I went to the student accommodation, I was fortunate enough to get um, a woman who basically listened to me. Initially, I got the whole answer of, we don't have anything, you've come at the wrong time. I think this was around it was coming up to April of that year, March, April time. And um, basically, you know, being told, sorry, it's the wrong time of the year. Maybe in the summer we'll have some places. And uh, she said to me also, you know, you need a guarantor, you need your rent, you need your deposit, you need some bank statements, you need this, you need that. And the more she was telling me all the protocols, the more I just wept and wept and wept like a little child. And she decided to pull me into like a little office and have a little chat with me because she knew something was wrong. And when she did, I'm very grateful to her. I did say thank you to her at the time, but she basically helped me get out of the predicament I was in by giving me, you know, compassion and giving me respect and also listening to her in a vibe, I guess, that told her that something is not quite right. And she, bless her, said to me, look, let me just go make a couple of phone calls. What's the problem? What's the situation? I told her what had happened. And she was just dumbfounded. So she said, right, where have you been living at the moment? And I explained what I'd been doing. And obviously there was a side of her that was very Christian, spiritual, you know, just being a good human being. She came, she went away and made some phone calls, came back and said to me, look, we have some accommodation. You've already told me that you're working. And um, if you are able to afford this particular fee in the summer, we charge a less fee for the halls of residence for our students here. 
but if you can afford this, then I can try and find for you somewhere to stay. Now, at the time, I think the one term was something like £600, which to me was just an absolute blessing because I'd previously spent £300 on the um, hotel room where I ended up staying. And, you know, these are the predicaments, like I said, we don't expect. And I was just relieved that, yes, I had to provide her with lots and lots of evidence, which at some point I was able to give, you know, bank statements and things like that. And it's not like like it is now where you can where you can download bank statements online and print them off back then you had to go to the cash machine and select a, a bank statement to be sent to you and you'd be charged five pounds for it and previously bank statements would come in the post you know there was no such thing as you want to opt out they would automatically come to you in the post so understandably i had you know um had to try and change my addresses and everything, but obviously I couldn't really do that because the address would be false for wherever I was giving evidence about where I lived. Anyway, thanks to this kind lady, she had given me somewhere to live. And um, it was a small room, but it was lovely. It had a little shower at the side, almost like similar to what you would probably get in a hospital, very similar. But to me, that just provided me with a roof over my head and a home. And... You know, it took a while to, to feel at ease and to feel at comfort and to feel like, you know, you can you can breathe again and to try to slowly start building parts of your life because it was an unexpected situation, as I said, to find myself in. And slowly I was able to go back to work. And um, luckily for me, as I said, I had my car, I had my savings, I had um, work, and I realise I am going to have to work extremely hard to keep this roof over my head and pay the other bills. I'd already been financially, in a get in a way, uh, independent because I had paid quite a lot of things for both my parents and my grandparents, which you do because it's part of your culture, it's part of your tradition, it's respect as well, helping out in your family. They've helped you, they've raised you. Um, it doesn't hurt to go and get other particular items of food or clothes or whatever to help your family you know this is part of the tradition and culture you you sort of raised in I guess it comes down to respect but now the predicament is obviously slightly different so for a while I managed to keep going back to work in Sheffield in Meadowhall and it was extremely nerve-wracking extremely difficult and you know it was hard not to keep crying all the time about what had happened. And I had to keep focusing on moving forward. This was the predicament I was in. This was the situation I was in. It was not gonna change. And, you know, um, in that short space of time, I had applied for a transfer so that I wasn't in the particular city where my family was going to be, because obviously it's gonna be upsetting for them and it was gonna be upsetting for me. And, to me at that time, bridges could not be built, could not be mended, despite all my efforts to try and sort that out with my father at the time. He had his particular perspective, I had my particular perspective, and I always did my best to try and always tell the truth, but unfortunately not everybody wants to hear that sometimes. Going back to my particular predicament, you know, for a while I was working in the branch and I did what I needed to do. 
And then I put in for a transfer to move to Leeds. And luckily for me, this woman was willing to be my reference uh, in Leeds in order to say, you know, she'd been a good tenant and this and that. However, when you then start to try and rent somewhere, again, because I was putting myself through university uh, for the second time, um, this is so I could go on to do teacher training and get my various education in education so that I could teach. Um, again, when you go around looking at estate agents and places like that, you realise how difficult it is just to even get somewhere to stay. And I had a lot of challenges against me, obviously, like I've already stated, and it was not a, not an easy option, you know, to be in that particular predicament. And as I said, you know, you persevere. The only solution I could find, and luckily for me, as I said, I had savings at the time, was to get myself um, a cash payment in order to pay the rent. And that meant paying for the whole year up front, you know, and not many people again can do that. And like I said to you, I had been working, I'd been hustling, I'd been saving all my money from what I'd been working from the bank and I'd been putting it to a side. And at this point, you know, it was it was needed to pay up front. And luckily that was the only way I could get out of um, the um, predicament I was in where you needed a guarantor and you needed specific people. I had no one. I had no one. I just had myself. You know, I had no partner. I had no close friends. All Everybody that was in my circle basically was not there. And I was by myself. And I was realising more and more I'm going to have to be really strong and I'm going to have to be really independent and I'm going to have to really get myself through this very, very difficult time. And I did pay the rent up front for a year. Luckily, I found a very, very small studio um, that was le in Leeds, near the universities. And um, I think the rent was something like £350, which even then, back then, is a lot of money for rent. But to me, it was a roof over my head. It was somewhere I could stay. It was somewhere I felt safe. I wasn't far from the universities. I was able to go and continue studying and teaching at the same time. And it's those hard times, you know, it's those hard times that get you through and make you persevere. And I, like I said, I was working for the bank. This time I was working in the call centre, so it was much different to uh, what I used to do face to face. And luckily for me, I was able to get shifts that matched um, my alternate hours from when I was actually teaching and working in the day. As part of your, your degree, you are... Um, and part of your education, you are working full-time as a teacher. Um, you don't have the same workload as the other people within the education mainstream, sorry. But you are working, you know. You are doing the same job, but not necessarily with all the workload as other people. So luckily, I was able to get um, in a situation where I was working on an evening, for example... Um, so I would work on a Thursday from like say five o'clock till um, nine o'clock at night or sometimes it would be till 12 o'clock at night and then on a Friday I would do the same like five o'clock till about nine o'clock or ten o'clock it depended on the shifts and then Saturday I would work from um, three o'clock in the afternoon till one o'clock in the morning and Sunday was something like um, 
I think something like 10 o'clock till about two o'clock or something like that. The shifts varied. Some of them were contractors. Sometimes you did overtime. But luckily, it, it worked with what I needed it to do, you know. And that, that to me was like a blessing in disguise, to be fair, because it got me through those hard times. It got me still working, still paying, still being able to pay my rent should I needed to, if there was anything that cropped up. Obviously, there was other bills like council tax and various other things that you had to pay, you know, because um, no longer, you know, longer classed as like a student, I guess you classed as someone that, well, that you're working, you know. So there was lots of other things that you had to pay for on top of the gas and the electric and various other things. And um, looking back, reflecting back, those predicaments are not easy, you know, those situations are not easy to get yourself through. And it worked because a year after that, I ended up purchasing my own home, which, you know, at the age of like 22 going on to 23, I never thought I'd do that in a million years. And that's when I'm, I was saving money. You know, the government was were paying teachers this something called golden hello and a handshake. And I was putting that money to a side and saving it because I had a purpose and I knew I had to be extremely careful with what I was what I was hoping to do and the outcome now not everybody can be in the predicament I was in I know that I appreciate that um, I had a lot of factors I guess on my side other individuals don't but the reason I'm mentioning my personal history in this podcast is because unfortunately you know homeless people are often seen as being the invisible people of our planet earth uh, there are times when we do support, we do help, we give charity where we can. And there are times when we are absolutely ignorant of the fact that there are people far less fortunate than ourselves. If COVID-19 is anything to, uh, you know, wake us up by, it's the acknowledgement that during COVID, you know, lots and lots of people are now thinking about the homeless, which has been a, a crucial thing. You know, housing them in some places, in, in open buildings that they've renovated purposefully for that particular individual or individuals. Um, also supporting and helping where they can. But why was this not being done before? I appreciate there's been lots of buildings. I'm well aware, actually, of some community projects where mosques, churches, synagogues have been renovated, have been used uh, some hostels have, you know, some empty buildings where they used to have sports centres were used to help house and home um, the homeless. I mean, I even know of companies that I personally worked for um, where they actually used to, you know, food waste, for example, for this particular company, when food is about to expire, they used to donate it to the homeless charities, you know, to regularly feed them. And they stopped because, unfortunately, some of the charities were not, you know, not necessarily the people that were trying to do things how they should have done. But some of the charity workers were selling that food off and they stopped. The bigger company stopped, which is a shame, isn't it? But it just goes to show that um, not everybody is supportive and not everybody is helping and not everybody is on the, the drive of helping the people that are less um, fortunate than ourselves. And it's this whole predicament of how we need to seriously start helping other people around us and not see homeless people as, oh, well, they've, you know, they've got themselves in that particular predicament. It's you don't know the predicament they found themselves in. Being homeless can ha and happen to anybody in any country, regardless of their, of their colour, of their ethnicity. 
and regardless of gender and regardless of you know your social economic background regardless of the fact that you could be from a family families can be homeless too it doesn't just have to be a single person so this is the confusing thing that i think many people don't realize that homelessness can happen to anybody at any time there are huge number of factors that go into it i mean currently at the moment with um you know covid we're into several months of this now and we're seeing a ripple effect across the whole globe where people are losing jobs are losing their homes are losing their income are losing their stability you know are we going to see unfortunately more homeless people because of the impact of what's going on huge corporations huge businesses have filed for bankruptcy and a lot of them aren't getting the payments you know i e redundancy some companies are not being able to be bailed out by the government because the government is also under stress and under duress and various other obviously implications but what does that mean for the people that are you know unfortunately in these in these situations you know how can we help them more as an individual there are times when you'll see things you know on media and social media where you'll see somebody going and helping somebody out buying them a meal i mean there's been quite a lot of media where individuals go and buy for, buy somebody that's homeless for example uh, a ready made meal or a meal from mcdonald's burger king and so on and they're filming it and saying oh look how good i am at giving this person some food and what so on but you know the, you don't really necessarily need to video that just do it in private that's my own that's my opinion you, your opinion might differ but i'm sure we can do a lot more for the people that are around us that are in need you know quite a lot of charities um have over this period of time found some um you know stability to be able to provide meals for some homeless families three meals a day sometimes two meals a day sometimes they found um you know quarters or found disabandoned buildings or accommodation and they've renovated it for the for the sake of it um in the uk for example i know that there's uh, some talk at the moment about what they can do to help the homeless individuals there as well there's um talk of basically the ministry of housing within the united kingdom of putting for uh, a budget aside of maybe like 160 million or something like that to try and combat this situation that we have say within the uk obviously in other countries and other places they're going to be even you know higher um numbers but they are trying to look at this situation where they are trying to stop uh, people in a being in a predicament where they are unfortunately having to sleep rough you know there is talk and there's discussion of building 6000 uh, housing units as they've called it they're trying to look at planning permission and these are all really fantastic ideas these are fantastic ways of going forward but also looking at the situations as well as to why this homelessness situation occurs you know there needs to also be more shelters and a lot of these places that people have relied on uh in the past you know i know when i was younger it was places like salvation army uh red cross um very so the you know there's the big one in england which is big issue which does help a lot of these you know a lot of these individuals to try and get themselves stable and on a good footing in order to go back into employment or to find somewhere to be able to be able to live and to have some sort of stability not everybody has the you know fortunate uh, capacity to have the financial stability i guess 
that I had in my particular predicament and it could have gone a very, very different way. And like I said, everybody's situation with homelessness is going to be very, very different, you know. And I think society also is uh, slowly sort of opening up their eyes and realising that they need to do more for people in these particular situations because it's not something that's necessarily going to go away overnight, you know. During COVID, if we're able to offer, um, you know, these individuals somewhere to sleep, emergency accommodation, why couldn't we do it before? What was stopping us from showing that empathy and that sympathy and understanding as a, and compassion, I guess, as a human being to help these individuals in that particular predicament, you know? Um, now, I guess some people's eyes have been opened and we are realising that this is not just something that's going to happen overnight. It's going to take a long, um, hard-earned project in order to do that. And in each country, there's going to be different scenarios. There's going to be different restrictions, different protocols that we're going to have to take place. But I guess the main thing for you as you're listening to this is to maybe look around you and think to yourself, you know, can I do more for the person in my community? Maybe there is somebody that you recognise as being homeless where you are and where you live. And perhaps you've never really struck up a conversation. Maybe, you know, you need to. You know, who is this person? What's their name? What's their story? What's their background? You know, what can I do more for this individual? Whether it's just having a conversation with them and, you know, um, finding out what's gone on, whether it's just providing them some food or some comfort. Maybe you have some, you know, spare blankets. Maybe you have some spare um, sleeping bags. Maybe you have spare clothes. Maybe you have other things where you can provide them somewhere to sleep. You know, all of us have different predicaments. All of us have different um, things going on in our lives. But the point is that we, we are hopefully moving forward and thinking of someone else other than ourselves. And like I said to you, sometimes it's very, very easy to think of somebody being homeless as an invisible person. And they're not. They've all had certain situations, certain scenarios happen to them, you know. Um, in certain countries, as I said, there's so some people that have come back from fighting in the wars, they're veterans, that are homeless, you know. And it can be teenagers, it can be children, it can be families. Like I said, homelessness can happen to anybody regardless of their predicament of uh, their socioeconomic background. And we as human beings, we as a society... We've proven that in, during COVID, we're able to put those people first. So why can we not continue to do that? So before I end this podcast, have a think. Have a think about who's in your local neighbourhood, who's in your area, who you might see on the street, you know, that you recognise as being fragile, as being somebody that needs help, somebody that you've perhaps ignored in the past, Okay. And perhaps we need to do more questioning and more helping and be showing more support, whereas perhaps we, perhaps we didn't. And there's nothing wrong with showing a bit of compassion, you know. Um, even if it's given a hot drink, even if it's given a smile, even if it's given a bit of money or food that you've got in your cupboard. Like I said, it could be that you provide a little pamper pack, such as extra clothes, extra sleeping materials that that individual might need. And obviously you're going to find out by talking to them. So it doesn't hurt for you as a person to, you know, put someone else first because you know what? That could be us the next day. I'm being serious. That could be us any time. Anything can happen. And it doesn't hurt to show a bit of compassion and a bit of empathy 
and also help that person to get themselves back into um, you know, the environment that you are part of instead of being invisible. I hope and pray you know, that um, people do get the support and help that they need. And I hope that these uh, institutions or these governments that are saying that they're going to help the homelessness, they stick to it and they do it and they help those individuals um, you know, get out of this predicament that unfortunately they found themselves in. And it's not an easy situation to be in. Um, and here's hoping, but let's hope that you can also make a difference. Take care. That's all for now. Thanks for listening.